This is the Studio Alchemy Podcast, episode 112, an interview with musician Michelle Qureshi. Our quote of the day was said by Charlie Parker, the jazz musician. If you don't live it, it won't come out your horn. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to explore creative ways to transform our lives. Alchemy was the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another, and we all do this every day. Every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. My name is Addie Hirschton. I am an artist. I teach art classes and have written a few books, including my new book, The Alchemy of Symbols. To find out more about my projects, classes, and to sign up for my art newsletter, I invite you to go to my website, studioalchemy.art. And now for our topic of the day, an interview with Michelle Qureshi. So Michelle Qureshi is a brilliant musician friend of mine. You can find her work at michellequureshi.com and all of the you know, music platforms. And I'm happy to report that lately Michelle's music, it's really just taken off. She's got so many more fans on, um, on all of the music platforms that I follow her on. And her work is just so perfect for like background for meditation. It's very calming and soothing. So that's what I turn it on for. But I'm so uh, excited for her because um, so many people are listening to her work right now. And it's just um, an exciting time to get to chat with her. So I am going to play you now a little snippet from one of her pieces so that you can feel her vibe. Here we go. And now, here's my interview with Michelle. Michelle Qureshi, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, yes, I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So my mm -hmm. first question for you is, what is the story of how you became a musician and you play so many instruments? And I'm wondering how that developed over time. Uh-huh, yeah, so... Okay. Um, I had this affinity for for strings, and then what was available to me uh, uh, 
was just the visual of a guitar. <laughs> um, I just was drawn to that instrument from when I was, you know, very young and uh, something, you know, like in the Beatles were out and that was like, oh my God, there's guitar. And there was even a cartoon out in, in my time of that to see that. And I was just, you know, I had this little infatuation. Occasionally, you know, I get a, a toy guitar and, uh, and it just kind of sat there like that until I was a teenager. Uh, right when I turned 13, I bought my first guitar and, you know, like, I think maybe typical of, of my approach was like remembering just that it was a black guitar with a red rose, <laughs> not what kind it was, not that it was horrible to play because it was cheaper than you can believe or anything else. <laughs> but that, you know, that at 13 kind of started my path to loving guitar and expressing that, that love through that instrument. Well, let's say loving music, but finding that guitar and then you know, over the coming years, just any fretted instrument I could get my hand on. Um, I would teach myself. I just, you know, poured over books and and anything I could get. You know, this was back in the time of uh, drop the needle kind of ear playing. Nothing like <laughs> kids do with YouTube today where they can slow, you know, slow a track down or have all kinds of tab tablature to read, to play things. We literally, you know, if you liked what Carlos Santana played on that piece, you listened to it at the groove, you kept dropping like, what was that note, you know, or Jimmy Page or, you know, so I was big on the pop music, rock and pop. I love Joni Mitchell. Um, I mentioned the Beatles. And uh, so that, that love affair grew into other instruments at that time, just kind of sticking with the strings, you know, mandolin, banjo, 12 string guitars, electric guitar, um, pedal steel guitar, um, just really anything I could kind of like, you know, go into a music store and find and just start playing. It was just that affinity for, for making sound, you know? And then when I turned 20, I was like, you know, I, I had missed that whole exposure. And I know you've had really great exposure to music uh, growing up because we had that conversation, but I really hadn't had much exposure to classical music at all. And so once I started um, listening, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm missing a big piece of something here. <laughs> and that was, um, that was why I stepped into saying, okay, you know, I'm changing my my career um, direction from from studying psychology at university to getting you know uh, music degrees and i started which is really late to be 20 years old and say oh now i'm gonna learn classical guitar you know when your classmates have been playing since three years old and things like this <laughs> so and they of course wanted me to abandon everything i taught myself as far as technique to start on this kind of different instrument with this different repertoire but um, yeah, so that that was kind of the the origin of it. Just this affinity first for guitar, and that remains today. But over the years, I would say I'm just drawn to sound, actually. Mm -hmm. And because I, you know, I know what that classical training is. You know, it's rigorous. It's um, I I dare say pretty uh, demanding and critical and mm -hmm. in and so when I pick up other instruments I abandon that mindset because that has some drawbacks too that hypercritical 
approach that, you know, oh, that's, you use that wrong finger at that wrong string, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff and <clears throat> can really interfere with the flow of, of music and sound. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what it is for me. It's just this, this flow that, that happens when, when I'm in the moment and creating and improvising. And um, so what I'm saying is when I pick up another instrument, like I've been playing a lot of Native American flute and, and, uh, uh, other um, idiophones and, and instruments like just that I bring to the studio and of course all kinds of keyboard things and my my approach is kind of like okay how does this make a sound and what kind of sound can I draw out of it you know okay. it's it's intuitive it's no longer like technical like what I've walked through the hoops of of guitar with so, okay. Um, okay. yeah, yeah. I, does that answer for the most part, you know, um, yeah. the development yeah. is just the exploration. I love sound. I mean, I can be in the kitchen and the pots and pans can start sounding cool, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. You are so creative with it and bringing in so many different, different elements. And this leads me in a wonderful way to my next question, which is, you know, I love seeing how artwork can change, whether it is improvisational or it's pre-planned. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the painting world, you know, this has become a really big thing lately because we have this new art movement that is intuitive painting. So you don't plan, you just grab some paint and you splash it on the canvas and you see what happens, which is so different than realistic painting where you're striving to recreate something in front of you. Um, but, you know, in, in with music, of course, there's um, jazz improvisation. Uh, but yeah, when you do your sound immersion performances, how much of that is improvisational and how much of it is pre-planned? Do you have like a, a set list before you go in or you just you just go with your gut or is it? Yeah, ab absolutely out? not. <laughs> <It's>, I. I <laughs> Don't plan anything. The only planned okay. thing is what's available to me. What have I brought into this wow. room, into this okay. space? What yeah. have the people who are, you know, lying on the floor about to, you know, experience this, what have they brought energetically to this room? Because I really, really do feel that, that I'm guided toward things that some people need to hear or feel or experience. So what I play is, is, really at that intersection of, you know, being prepared to play, but also being totally open to that moment. And and that's what I've loved with the, uh, you know, calling it like a, a knowing intuition, you know, I've done the intellectual work. <laughs> now I come in and it's truly a playground for me. It really is. And I just absolutely love the experience. I just did one Wednesday night and it was just like, it was, I was so part of that peacefulness that the music was imbuing in, uh, for over everyone, you know, and mm -hmm. it, it is just, you know, it is just such a great experience and it's a great live kind of thing for me who otherwise uh, I haven't sought out a ton of opportunities in this, in this area for just like solo guitar. Um, a lot of times it's conceived of here in you know for events you know it's, it's like even at your your um beautiful studio that night it was lovely guitar music but it was background and that's what it was supposed to be <laughs> but there's nothing background about a sound immersion you know it's pin drop yeah. silence it's yeah. um it's it's intentional it's intuitive and uh 
it unfolds differently every time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Have you ever recorded one that, that was an in-person? Because I would imagine that would be so different than if you're in the sound booth at a recording studio. Yeah. I, I Well, my recording studio is, is right here in my yeah. room. It's very humble. You just don't need that much <laughs> when, when in my way of making music, you know. Um, so, and that is... To record it and to actually capture these sound waves and this vibration would, you know, I'd really have to bring a whole team, a whole technical team okay. in before I would be comfortable releasing it. Okay. Um, because, you know, the, the the sound waves that a gong produces can just, you know, especially if some of these yoga rooms are like smaller, more intimate. Right. And yeah. it's just like it would really be hard to capture I think, you know, I mean, this, I'll, I'll tell you, this is on my list of things for 2024. I'm oh, going to yeah. have to, yeah, I want to build a virtual version of this, but being uh, really, um, I, I'm really a stickler for quality and that the audio sound pristine and be delivered in the right way. Um, so I need, you know, and maybe somebody in our audience will get in touch with me and say, oh, I can help you with that. <laughs> because that's, yeah, that's the only thing holding it back is it's just the idea that um, can we give a, a, a similar, I'm not saying a same, but a similar experience to someone listening, you know, with ideally headphones. I hope somebody wouldn't just listen over their phone, <laughs> but, you know, like in an environment where they can take it in and, and because I know there's a lot, you know, there's tons of people like on uh, TikTok and Instagram doing the bowls and just, you know, like this and, and imparting that kind of uh, the wisdom in that vibration, but I don't know how well it's being, you know, received or, or um, right. Uh, sent right. out over the airwaves, or is it is it just gimmicky? You know, look at right, these bowls, right. blah blah blah. <laughs> you know, I think it's really important to be authentic and and honest with the sound produced. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I'm reminded of how you know you can take a painting and then say you take a photo of it and then you put it online and then it's teeny mm -hmm. tiny. Yeah, and the digital right? quality is not great it's not the same as standing in front of a piece, especially if it's a bigger one that's intended to be kind of emotional, like a Rothko or something. Right. Um, you know, the, those pieces, it's like you have to be in front of them in order to really feel it. And music, mm -hmm. I think, is can be similar in that, you know, if you're there with live music, you feel those waves and you feel the energy mm -hmm. of the musicians and it's different. Yeah. Right. If you're just listening to a recording. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I'm thankful for that we live in an age where we have sound <laughs> recordings, right? Yeah. And the ability to share your art, even, you know, even if it's just something on a screen that is representative of the experience, it's not the real experience, but it represents it, you know, and yeah. can pique an interest and, you know, ultimately drive someone to your studio to see the real thing, you know, mm -hmm. and I guess, you know, what popped into my head while you're discussing that is, you know, is there, were you ever one to buy a record of a, uh, of a live concert and, and did that impact you similarly as the concert or is it just, is it just triggering a memory, 
you know. I mean, I know I go to some concerts and like, and I, when I go to, I don't go to a lot, but if I go to a concert, you know, I've always got my very like critical ears on, not, not a lot of just relax into this ears. I can't, can't dial that down, but some things I've learned by going to a couple of things like uh, performances of, of groups I like on the record. And then I go and I'm like, Oh, this is awful live. <laughs> Yeah, but I see people dancing and that, and I'm like, I'm, I'm put together the idea that it doesn't matter if it's a fan, it, what you're presenting at that stage, if it's a bona fide fan, they're not being critical. They're like, I'm seeing, you know, blank, blank, and this is so cool, and I'm dancing in the aisle, and, you know, nobody's saying, oh, my God, that scratchy sound of the guitar or that, you know, <laughs> I am, and that's not to my benefit <laughs> sometimes. But, you know, I think there's a there's a degree with, with that kind of um, overlap where people are uh, – the expectations don't don't even matter, you know. Uh, I will say the I guess the last concert I went to was this Taylor Swift with my daughter Layla. We went to the Eras <laughs> tour in in Cincinnati, and that okay. was amazing. That was amazing, you know. But okay. it, it was so well done, and and uh, the conceived so just amazingly um i'm using that word too much but the thing is it didn't even have to deliver on the level it did i think to have the impact it did mm -hmm. i'm just lucky it did because <laughs> so, <laughs> i really enjoyed it it was really fun yeah so yeah sound waves i think uh there's just so much to be um still learned and discovered or rediscovered and relearned about what sound is capable of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of if I'm in a sad mood, then, you know, I, I find something that's in a major scale. <laughs> something like, I don't know, fun 1950s pop rock or whatever. And, <laughs> and um, use it as a way to help me enliven my spirits. That's so interesting because I've I've read the I've read kind of the opposite, like and I've been more toward the opposite. Like if I'm feeling melancholy, okay. I would listen to something melancholy because it helps me process those feelings by huh. listening through it. Okay. Instead okay. of like, get me out of here. <laughs> you know? so, but that's interesting. I should I should think about that. And of course, a lot of people do use music in that way, like, you know, bring up the mood, bring up the vibe. But sometimes, okay. you know, like that, that really beautiful, um, deep, kind of deeply spiritual music that has, well, I'll quote one of my fans on Facebook, and it was in another language, but when you translate it, it was something about loving the sweet misery of my music. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that because it was, I understood it. I knew what it <laughs> meant. And when I think of that kind of music, um, I think of like Johan Johansson, this Icelandic, late Icelandic composer that did uh, films like Arrival and um, just have these gorgeous uh, kind of ambient music soundtracks and compositions uh and they can go very, they can go pretty dark, but it's really beautiful music, you know. Okay. So, 
Yeah. And does that mean that when you're feeling down, do you go to the studio and then you play your heart out to release those pent up emotions? It is, I see it as a, well, not just, not just pent up. I mean, I think uh, there's, there's qualities to the music I compose that is multi timbral and multi layered. You know, mm-hmm. like you'll have some uh, maybe a synth bed with, um, you know, some chimes and and electric guitar and a slide guitar. And, you know, those are more, how do I say? Those can, I almost drop into a free form with those, you know, like mm-hmm. because they can just be, um you know, they start one direction, but they have a life of their own, you know, and I'm just here like channeling it where it's going, you know, and with the guitar, when it's a solo thing, which I um, love writing as well, you know, I can't pick up the guitar without something new starting. I mean, I have such a backlog of mm. like starts <laughs> that I'm like, okay, this is too much. I have to, you know, this is so beautiful. This is like, okay you know, get to this, you know, record 30 seconds and then put it in your, you know, to do box. (laughs) But important to me on the solo guitar stuff is that it's, it's always a story. That story is nonverbal, but it's packed with emotion. And it's, it's the emotion of what I am feeling (laughs) as I'm writing it. Like, is it the sound that's causing an emotion or is this emotion discovering this sound? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it does, you know, it is imparted in the performances and in the recordings. You know, you feel like it's not just someone doodling on the guitar. You're hearing a story, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that engages people. And it's, you know, I don't even want to say it's intentional because it's just so deeply rooted in how I approach it. I don't, it's intuitive. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah interesting cool so what new projects are you currently working on and of course today this is january (laughs) you're releasing a new album today yes yes tell us about that and then what's on the airways in the pipeline okay well it's yeah yeah this i've been working on um kind of for the past year and i slowly released the guitar singles starting late may each month, I was just saying, okay, here's a here's a piece of this, here's a piece of this, and then today, um, of the, let's see, that was seven. So this album is eighteen tracks, and the majority of the new to be heard today are these multi layered ones that go, you know, uh, that go in all kinds of direction. But by and large, it's it's a very, um, you know peaceful kind of you know you could you could do it background you could do it foreground but when you listen it's going to definitely just kind of wash over you and just you know that relaxation meditation healing kind of ambient thing with all the different instruments um and yeah it's called a day on venus and with a nod to your work and your new book on the um the alchemy of symbols i designed the cover of this um based on um the title being a rose the um a day on venus plus the rose of venus 
which I had discovered is a sacred ge uh, geometric pattern. And okay. it's about the orbit of Venus that forms as it dances with the Earth. I think it takes eight years like it, it's, it, it creates this pattern that you'll see it on my album cover. <laughs> and so I did that one, uh, kind of this, uh, thing. And then it creates a five petals due to the trajectory of this, of this, um, pattern. And inside I put a real little one that I also made. So I had a lot of fun kind of working with symbols <laughs> with, uh, you know, not knowing, um, how I exactly how I was going to do this, but but I was I was happy with it in the end. You know, I have the um, space kind of uh, setting for it, and um, so this sacred ge geometric pattern is there, and it's the five petal rose. Sometimes I think you can hear this as, and then of course it ties in also um, with the uh, the planet of Venus in in. Uh, Vedic astrology, I am ruled by Venus. That's my planetary ruler. And so many aspects of that just kind of go, they fit really beautifully into the sound immersion approach. I'll just say that, you know, <clears throat> like kind of taking gifts from the other side and lifting the veil and bringing them into, into this uh, world. And that's kind of how um, I experience my music. Mm. Yeah. Nice. <clears throat> nice. <laughs> So as you know, because you were at the book launch and played music for the book launch, uh, yeah, I just so finished huh. a book on symbolism. So I'm curious what your favorite symbol is and why. Okay, for a long time, uh, well, I love symbols. Well, I need to say that first of all. But for a long time, I've always been drawn to the um, the paisley, the symbol, a paisley symbol. Uh, usually can have all kinds of different patterns. It has a Persian slash you know, um, Indian uh, history to it. But just today in, in uh, reading different things about um, Paisley, the actual name comes from a town in Scotland. Really? <laughs> yeah. That and the connection, me. I mean, I, yeah, I won't miss describe it, but I have a feeling that it's something that got, uh, you know, um, through the colonialism of the, the the period, eventually came over to um, this pattern appeared and was used in this uh, in this town and got named after it. I mean, let's okay. let somebody look this up so it's right. <laughs> but it, there is a connection. It's a it's a I think it's a town that borders. Uh, uh, yeah, in somewhere it's in Scotland, and that's where wow. the name that we know it as because it has you know in its Persian roots it had different it was known by different names and, and, and things like that. And, you know, we, we have it very much in, in the Western world in as designs. And I used to always, you know, I had a favorite dress with Paisley's. I have a million scarves with Paisley's. I'd like a guitar with Paisley. Um, I have to wonder <laughs> what Prince knew about it, knowing that his um, studio was Paisley Park in, in Minneapolis. Right. <laughs> Um, so I love that. But then, of course, like the Fibonacci and the golden mean and the shell, shape of the shell and okay. my my album from uh, May last year, one of the tracks is Spiral Staircase because it's just that, you know, the fluidness of that movement. Okay. And there's just so much in within sacred geometry that is so significant that I'm sure. I'm trying to uh, learn more about and experience 
you know, yeah, you know so, how well, they impact what, us. What drew you to the Paisley? Do you think is it does it is it associated with an early memory or you've it, or maybe you don't know, it's just the shape is very appealing? Yeah, I don't know. I do think it was kind could have been a, you know, it could be a past life thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, because there is something inherent in it that um, I relate to without being able to tell you that I was exposed to okay. much of anything yeah. growing up in Northwest India. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too funny. But yeah. All right. Well, yeah. good luck with your new album release today, Michelle. Is there Thank anything you. else that you'd like to say to our listeners before we sign off? Um, let's see. Well, if your listeners are local, please catch one of my sound immersions. Um, and wherever your listeners are, uh, please look into, you know, discovering, uh, what I now have 14 albums, 22 singles, three EPs on all the streaming platforms. And of course you can get anywhere from there, just from my website, which is my name, michellecreshi.com. And uh, just, I just appreciate any support and feedback uh, about this path I'm on. Wonderful. Yes. Well, we're here to support you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes the Studio Alchemy podcast. May these thoughts and stories comfort and heal your spirit. May you be filled with inspiration. May you be like the lotus flower and build your home in the muddy water. May you find your voice.